0: Hi, I'm Lynn Kitchens, and I am so happy to be here with you today and be honored. I'm honored to be a part of Women in the Word this summer. How great to talk about the love of God at this time, especially this particular time. And I don't know about you, but each day brings so many uncertainties that that reality of the love of God sort of gets filed in the back of my mind. And and each day's fears and uncertainties kind of come to the front of my mind. And so I would love to encourage us all today. So let's grab our Bibles and get our notes and talk about the love of God. And last week, we learned that God's love was a loyal and a steadfast love. It is called hesed in Hebrew. And this is the kind of love that we as God's children, we cling to this love, we depend upon this love, it is our light, in the dark times it is our anchor in the storms and it is our hope in hopeless situations it is our only hope it's an incredible gift from God and because we have hope which I'm thinking of hope as a definition a confident expectation in God's goodness when we have that hope we have peace I was thinking about a trip that Ted and I my husband took on A few years ago, we went to the Grand Canyon with another couple, I'll call them Joe and Sue. We were so excited to be there, but then we made this really, really foolish mistake of deciding to ride a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. And I was excited, I thought it sounded great, and then we got on the helicopter over the Grand Canyon. And it was horrible. It was totally frightening because there were these air pockets as you're going over these rocks and these cliffs, air pockets that would all of a sudden, out of the blue, drop you 10 or 15 feet. And then you'd be, you'd be calm for a minute. And all of a sudden, it would drop you another 10 or 15 feet. And so we were on the edge of our seats, pretty tense and nervous, all except for Joe. Joe was having a great time looking out, looking around at the scenery enjoying himself immensely because he told us that he believed three things. One, that the pilot cared about us. Two, that the pilot um, also had a plan. And three, that the pilot knew exactly where to land us so we could be safe if there was any trouble. So let me just tell you this. There was no place to land that helicopter in the Grand Canyon We knew that, but Joe didn't know that. And so because of that, he was very happy and content, and we were happy for him that he was peaceful. This is a perfect picture of what hope can do for us. And as Christians, it reminds us that our hope relies and depends on the constant care, the unchanging care of our pilot, the Lord. When we understand his love, we understand He cares about us. He has a plan for us. And he knows how to land us in the safest places in a world that brings us lots of those ups and downs and surprises that's got dangerous cliffs and crevices and drops around us. We know the love of God, it is our only hope. And so today I want to witness God's love but it will be in a way that we really don't always think looks like love. It's going to be the loving discipline of God. Uh, We're going to look at the relationship between God and Israel and see what it has to say to us. So we need to be reminded of this truth right off the bat. God disciplines those he loves. That's what he does when discipline comes from God It serves a very holy purpose. On the verse sheet you may have printed out, Hebrews 12, 6, or you can listen to it. This is what they say. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son, whom he receives." So God's discipline is a sign of God's love and God loves Israel. But in Lamentations, we will see, Israel had not been loving God. But first we have to talk about a little bit of history. Do you remember in Israel's history, there was a time when they split into two kingdoms. 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were in the north, they were called Israel. The other two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, were in the south. That was called Judah. And in the heart of Judah, the life of the city was the city of Jerusalem. God had always been faithful to Israel, but Israel had become a faithless people. So I'd love for us to step into that a little bit emotionally. So let's say you were a young woman and you wanted a daughter with all your heart. You were so eager for a daughter. And so you went to an adoption agency. And you chose a little girl. You chose her. She had nothing. She had no one. Let's say her name was Jane. And you loved Jane. You took care of her. You provided for her. You met her needs. You were careful to teach her truth. You taught her about the wonders of God. And you had no... um, No thought except that she would one day be a blessing to other people around her. After college, she took a job and moved away for a year. Then the day came when you could see her again, finally. And so as you're approaching your daughter, you notice there's another woman with her, an older woman. And when you get close to them, your daughter Jane introduces this woman and says, this is my mother. It breaks your heart. You're shocked. And you say, no, I'm your mother. I loved you. I raised you. I taught you. I've done everything because I love you. And she says, well, I've really forgotten that. I've forgotten about your love. I love this woman. She's my mom now. And that woman, guess what, doesn't know about God. And so I don't remember God either. In fact, Jane tells you she loves all the worldly things that her mom loves and idolizes. And so then your daughter turns her back to you and begins to walk away. And you try to warn her about the terrible things that will happen in her life. And you begin to say, I'm your mother. I'm your mother. But your daughter walks so far away, pretty soon she can't hear your voice anymore. This is the relationship between God and the children he loves, the nation of Israel. He chose them as his own when they were nothing, had no one. He loved, provided, promised many great things for them. He taught Israel all about himself. He knew that one day Israel would bless others. They would be a light to the nation. They will bring salvation to the nations. He delivered her from bondage in Egypt. He brought her to a promised land. And he said, I'm your father. But in that land, they turned their back on him. And he said, I'm your father. And they walked away. Let's look at Jeremiah 2 on your verse sheet or in your Bible. Jeremiah 2.2. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness. In a land not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went so far from me? and went after worthlessness and became worthless. Verse 11, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. So during this time in Israel's history, There were many idolatrous kings that led the people. And so Israel walked away from the true God of their youth and into the arms of foreign false gods. They kept God's ordinances, but their heart was not in it. Their heart was after things that were worthless. God told Judah in the book of Jeremiah, I thought they would call me my father. I thought They wouldn't turn from following me. Instead, the people of Judah, they climbed green hills because that's where they could worship false gods with other foreigners. They put their faith in idols and idolatry. They forgot the love of God. They forgot how he provided for them. Even the priests didn't know who God was. Even the prophets prophesied through the false god Baal even though many godly prophets through the years had been warning Israel of coming judgment if they didn't return to him. Over and over, God offered Israel opportunity to repent and receive his forgiveness and his restoration. In fact, look at Jeremiah 3.12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north, says God, and say, return, faithless Israel, I will not look on you in anger, for I'm merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. I just think these are beautiful words, words that display God's essence. They are also beautiful because they're beautiful to us, because we are a wayward people too, like Israel. We can all relate to those words from the popular hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love, prone to climb a hill of foolish pursuits, prone to pour my life and, I, and just make idols out of things that are worthless, prone to forget that God is my Father, but this verse tells us his love is ever waiting to restore and renew us in the midst of our sin. God always offers ways to return to his mercies. If we've turned our back on God, we can turn back around and be restored by his love. This is our only hope. During these years of Judah's rebellion, we get to meet Jeremiah. He is known as the weeping prophet, and we will see why. He was the premier prophet of Judah during the dark days that led to her destruction. His ministry went on for five decades during this time in Israel's history. It was not an easy ministry. Look at Jeremiah 1. God tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Verse 14, then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I'm calling all the tribes of the kingdom of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. Everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for their evil in forsaking me. They've made offerings to other gods. They've worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. I love that phrase that God uses. Arise, say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. Verse 19, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Yikes. I think Jeremiah's job description is pretty crummy. Go to Judah and tell them they're wicked. Go to Judah and tell them that God is going to punish their wickedness and judge them. Tell Judah that they will be destroyed along with their city, Jerusalem. This is not a way to gain popularity. In fact, Jeremiah was not popular. He was pretty much just about hated by everyone. If we had time, we could look in the Bible at the way Judah continually abused this man from God named Jeremiah. They fought against his message, but God delivered him. I want you to hear one of his bold proclamations to them that Jeremiah made in Jeremiah 2, 19, let me just read it to you. Your evil will chastise you, Judah. Your apostasy will reprove you. Know and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. The fear of me is not in you. So Jeremiah was like this blazing torch in Judah. And everywhere he went, he exposed the darkness of the sins that were going on in Judah and he used God's own words to let them know about it. And so the discipline that God talked about eventually did come just as Jeremiah prophesied and God used the nation of Babylon to carry out his divine judgment. Babylon tormented Judah for many, many years, took hostages from Judah. And finally in 586 BC, they, they destroyed the beloved city of Jerusalem. They tore down the walls, the walls that protected Jerusalem. They burned the city. They burned every home. They burned every building. They burned the temple. They looted the temple. They stole the silver and the gold and broke every holy vessel they didn't take. They killed and captured the people of Judah and Jerusalem. So when that army of Babylon departed from Jerusalem, all that was left was just rubble, smoldering rubble. Guess who watched all of that happen? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jerusalem, this once glorious capital, had been trampled into dust. The people now were under the hand of a cruel taskmaster with all these horrible events stamped. On Jeremiah's mind, he sits down to write his laments about the judgment and the fall of Jerusalem. And this is the book of Lamentations. We can read in that book the five laments of Jeremiah. They're also called five funeral dirges penned by him. We will look at the third one, and this is a pivotal point in the book of Lamentations. But before we look at that, I want to think about God's Hesed love over Jeremiah and his ministry. It's only because of God's loving protection that Jeremiah was not killed while he was in Judah or that he was not exiled from Judah. God had told Jeremiah, they will fight against you and they did. But still, God had said to Jeremiah, dress yourself for work and let me take care of you. Meaning, do your job, Jeremiah. I'll do my job. He also told this to Jeremiah I'm going to make you like a fortified city, like an iron pillar, like a bronze wall. You, Jeremiah, will stand against the kings of Judah, the priests, the people, and all the leaders. It reminded me maybe you've heard this phrase from other Christians I am immortal until my work on earth is done. And what that means is this, when God has plans for us here, no plans of man can stop us. For some of us, God's plans end earlier than we would expect, and he brings us home earlier. I always think about John the Baptist. I think about missionaries like Jim Elliot. When their work was done, God brought them home early. And then we have those that God has plans that last a much longer time, and he brings them home later. Corey Tenboom comes to mind. She was the godly woman who was in a concentration camp and God miraculously let her out still living and to just share with the world until she was 90 years old about the salvation and forgiveness that we have in Christ. Either way, our lives are in the hands of a loving father. This is what Jeremiah learned this is our hope, and this is our peace, as we do God's will. And this is his will, in case we start to think, I don't have that kind of special calling. We all have a calling. We all have a calling to love God, to serve God, and to share God with others in the world. But we often, often realize that following our calling can bring some hardships, as it did for Jeremiah. In Lamentations, we realize because Judah suffered, Jeremiah suffered to the point of desperation. In fact, Jeremiah's personal testimony of suffering, it really parallels the suffering that went on with Judah as a whole in Jerusalem. But it didn't mean that God had forgotten his weeping prophet. He continued to meet Jeremiah's needs He continued to use him in his calling. So sometimes we will suffer too because of other people's sins. And then God tells us, as he told Jeremiah, get dressed for work. Let me take care of you. He also told Jeremiah, people may fight against you, but they won't prevail. I am with you. I will deliver you in the midst of our lives of living for Christ. God surrounds us with his power and his protection. And again, it doesn't mean we won't experience pain. And many Christians have even lost their lives in their calling before God. But we are never alone. If we're still here on earth, his power and protection is our strength. And one day that power and protection will take us to glory, to be with him. So let's see what God's discipline felt like for Judah. And we can understand it by looking at the suffering of Jeremiah and also the hope that he found in God's chesed, his great, amazing, loyal love. So turn to Lamentations 3, verse 1. Jeremiah says, I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Jeremiah suffered discipline like Judah. He calls it the rod of God's wrath. We know that that rod was Babylon. The result of the destruction that Babylon brought was darkness, judgment, confusion, suffering that seemed to never end. And like Judah, Jeremiah was once led by God's light, but in these verses we see that light is gone. Like Judah, Jeremiah feels the pain and the loss of the presence of God inwardly and outwardly. Outwardly, the life of the nation was wasting away, and outwardly, Jeremiah's health was deteriorating. Inwardly, Jeremiah experienced an agony that felt like his bones were all broken. Bitterness and tribulation surrounded him as it surrounded Judah. So in summary, we can say this. Judah and Jeremiah were broken in body and in spirit. And verse 6 tells us, They were like dead men walking. I thought, isn't this what it feels like when we are convicted of our sin? When we first begin to dwell on it. There is no comfort. We feel alone. We feel ashamed. But we can be glad about this because without this first step, healing cannot come. I personally hate this first step. But until I feel the depth of my sin, I will not be able to feel the depth of God's great love. Let's look at verse seven. Jeremiah said, God has walled me about so I can't escape. He's made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. So don't you envision a prison In these verses, he was bound. He was bound by his tribulations. He was chained up. He can't escape from his pain. His freedom is blocked as if he were in jail. I read that the nation of Assyria, whenever they took prisoners, they would just take stones and build a block wall around each prisoner and leave them there to die. This is how Jeremiah feels even as prayers are hitting that stone wall and not getting out to God. And we have to say, why, God? Jeremiah had obeyed you. Here's why. Because God's righteous judgment had to pursue its course for Judah. It was a harsh training for the nation of Judah. One person wrote this. Sin makes the cup of affliction a very bitter cup. Sin makes affliction a bitter cup. And I thought, you know, this cup would be even more severe if God acted like we would. As humans, we inflict pain because we want to punish people. God uses pain to help people. That's his plan. And here's what it was for Israel. He brought righteous judgment to them so that they would return to him because he knew that was their only hope to see him as their father again, to worship him alone. Look at Lamentations 3, 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Look at 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. God didn't delight in discipline. For years, he tried to turn Israel's hearts around. He knew the only way they would thrive as a nation was if they came back to their true God and he would be there waiting for them. He brought down his rod of wrath because he loved them. And before we talk more about God's love, I want us to continue to see the hopelessness that there is without God, the hopelessness that Judah needed to first experience. Let's see how Jeremiah describes it in verse 17. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Without the blessings of God in their lives, the hope For Judah was just devastation. There are three of life's joys that Jeremiah mentions here that have deserted Jeremiah and Judah. They are peace. They are happiness. They are endurance. And guess what? The world offers us all three of these things. But it doesn't last. And it doesn't satisfy. And guess who needed to learn that? The nation of Judah. They were discovering this truth only because of the discipline of God. We can get an illustration of this when we read Psalm 137. You can look even on YouTube and hear different artists singing that hymn. It's beautiful. They are the very remorseful words of a captured Judean being dragged away from the nation he loved into the desert heading to Babylon. That person would have stared in disbelief as he looked back at Jerusalem and saw it destroyed. He would have seen some friends and family killed. He would have watched everyone he knows being enslaved. And while they journeyed to Babylon, those people would be mistreated and mocked as they were captives going to a foreign land. And in the psalm, a Judean is crying near a river river in Babylon. He's recognizing that those three things are not his. Peace, happiness, and endurance. Those things have deserted him because he had deserted the Lord. Let's read Psalm 137 together. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, Judah, Upon the willows, in the midst of it, we hung up our harps, for there our captors were demanding us to sing song, and our tormentors were, were mirth, giving mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How? How can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. How can we experience the joy of the Lord when we've abandoned him and turned to other things? We can't. And now Jeremiah recognizes that he has no hope on his own. And this is a good place for us to be as well, to go from conviction to admission. Look at verse 19 in Lamentations 3. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. When we remember and concentrate on suffering, it's not a good thing. And this is what Jeremiah is doing here. And it pushes him toward despair. Wormwood and gall were very bitter herbs and plants. And the painful remembrances are like that for Jeremiah. They make him bitter. And I thought, this is such an easy place for us to stop when we have difficult remembrances. We want to hold on to them sometimes, these painful remembrances. And we eat the bitter plant, and we eat the bitter herb, and we keep on chewing it and chewing it, and chewing it. We want to remember the pain, but while we're doing that, we are not remembering God. We're about to see. Jeremiah makes a very wise decision at this point to begin instead to remember who God is. And this one thought will crowd out the hopelessness that threatened to undo him. Now is the time to stop looking inward and start looking upward from conviction to admission to repentance, a turning back to God because of God's faithful love. You know, the compassionate character of God, it trumps every wreckage of sin that we bring into our lives or that others bring into our lives. Look at verse 21, chapter 3. Now Jeremiah's changing his mind. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Jeremiah's hope was restored remembering the unending loyal love of the Lord. It brought about a change in his emotions. Now he was able to rise above his troubles instead of suffering under them. And in the same way, Judah was down right now under this discipline, but they weren't out. God was judging them, but he wasn't rejecting them. They were his children, like we are his children today. And he still chooses us because his mercies never end. In fact, they are new every morning. Every morning, God's mercies are new. But we have to train ourselves to look for them. At wedding showers, maybe you've done this a few times, you go and there's a card and they say, write a blessing or write some advice to the new bride. And and I always think, oh no, it's not my favorite thing because... I'm usually talking to someone, and I don't want to go get in a corner to write some blessing, or I'm eating something, or I'm helping somehow, but I usually always do it, get my card and go. And this is what I almost always write to the bride. Every morning when you wake up, look for the goodness of God. That's what Jeremiah is doing here. That's what we can do as we faced his discipline. I think it's a wonderful habit. I think it will bless a new bride. I think it blesses us. When we understand how inexhaustible is the love of God, our hope is restored, our confident expectation in God's goodness. Jeremiah says, he alone is our portion. You know, years before, the tribe of Levi were told that they would not get to inherit any land in the promised land. Like all the other tribes, it was because they would be priests and they were told the Lord himself is your portion. That means for us today, we should put our hope in him alone, not in people, not in money, not in things, in him alone. So how do we train ourselves to look for the mercies of God, even in the midst of the discipline of God? Jeremiah shows us how, and it's really great to see, finally comes to a point where he doesn't resent the discipline of God. Look at verse 25. Jeremiah says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that we should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Oh my gosh, these are hard things to do in our world today. It is so hard to be alone and silent, to sit in silence, to wait quietly for God, to seek God when we're hurting in darkness. You know, I thought God helps those who help themselves. This is a lie that we sometimes believe. We might even think, maybe I can Google a solution to my problem. But these verses tell us when we are facing and looking face to face with the consequences of our sin, we must humbly go to God, quietly alone, and wait for him to act. And that means we are resting in his mercies. Jeremiah says, and then the Lord will be our salvation, our restoration. Nothing else. No one else. He also says, during that time, we bow our heads. We submit to the yoke of discipline that our Father has set on us. Look at verse 27. He says, it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him let him put his mouth in the dust that there may yet be hope. So we have conviction. We have admission. We have repentance. And then we have renewal when we wait on God. In the midst of our discipline, God reveals himself to us and renews our lives. This is the steadfast love of the Lord. And aren't you glad that we are not a people who have no hope? I came across a wonderful song the other day listening to the radio. Probably many of you know it. It's called Rescue Story. I think it's Jeremiah's story. And I think it's our story. And it's about Hesed, the loyal, steadfast love of God. Here I was empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were, God, in the shadows, holding out your hand. You met me there. You were the voice in the desert, calling me out in the dead of the night, fighting my battles for me. You are my rescue story. You lifted me up from the ashes. You carried my soul from death to life, bringing me from glory to glory. You are my rescue story. You are writing the pages before I had a name, before I needed grace. Even then, you sing a song of redemption. Because every time I ran away, you were louder than my shame. You are my rescue story. So in the midst of our sin and our suffering, in the midst of a difficult calling, in the midst of the discipline of God, our fathers, Steadfast love never ceases. It is our only hope.